the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. The Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I am Justin Graver. Joining me, as always, is Justin Mello. Justin, quick, how you doing? I'm doing well. As promised last week, we're going to start bringing on a couple of guests to get us through this uh, dire summer period where not a whole lot is happening, try to spice things up and, and engage our listeners, and we got a damn good one today. We got one of the best Titans analysts I've ever known of, in my opinion, Mike Miracles. Mike Herndon is sitting in on the pod. He's here. Mike, thanks for joining us. How are you doing today? Oh, that's entirely too kind of both of you. Um, And I am very excited to join the pod. It's been a minute. I actually do have some, you know, Titans takes that have been boiling up and and bubbling up in me that I've been needing to get out. So this this would be a good outlet for that. Um, but today I'm doing great because Arch Manning is is a Longhorn. So hook him, hook him, baby. That is great news. And yes, Mike, I wanted to ask you how retirement is going. I know you're raising a little one, and uh, but the Titans takes they still bubble under the surface, huh? They do. You know, it's uh, you know. It is, I think it's probably been the best decision I've made, uh, my, my semi-retirement. I know people like to make fun because I still tweet a lot, but uh, not writing, not recording is is a lot to take off of your plate. And uh, that decision has been very beneficial for me and my family, just uh, giving me a lot more time uh, to do what, what really I have to be doing for, uh, you know, raising, raising a little guy to be a good, uh, good Titans fan when he grows up. And, uh, you know, I'm doing, doing a good job with that so far, I think. Nice. It's great to hear. And we are very happy to give you a platform to get some of those takes off your chest. So let's get into it today. We're going to talk about the Titans roster, the way it's constructed and kind of how we see things shape, shaking out as the tr- training camp and the rest of the offseason progresses into preseason and regular season when the Titans have to cut this thing down to 53 guys. And there's a few little oddities that this particular roster may have that the last few we haven't seen from. And the biggest one of those is probably the three quarterbacks. So we're going to kind of talk through positionally where we see the biggest competition and uh, ultimately come up with sort of a loose 53 man projection that we just, you know, we're not going to be very super specific about it, but as we talk through it, we'll figure out who's going to make the team and who's not going to make the team. So let's start there with the quarterbacks. If you had to put a percentage on it, what would you say the percentage is the Titans keep all three of Tannehill Woodside and Malik Willis? I'd I'd probably put it at like, 95%. 95%. I yeah. think it's a really high chance that they're going to keep all three of them. And it's not like, I think there's a chance that Willis, uh, you know, does show them enough that, that they feel pretty comfortable with them. But I still feel like Woodside's knowledge of the system, Woodside's uh, ability to run the offense and do all the little things correctly. I, I, I just, I find it hard to believe that Willis is going to get up to speed that quickly. Um, and that's not a slight at him. It's a lot to learn. Like the, going from the offense that he ran at Liberty to the offense that he's going to run in the NFL is a lot to take in. And his head's going to be swimming for most of training camp. So um, I, I think Woodside's ability to get them in and out of, I, I mean, people take for granted, like the little stuff, like getting in and out of the huddle, like getting the play call in, understanding how to make checks at the line of scrimmage, understanding how to slide your protection. Uh, you know, if you see a certain look from a defense, there's so much going on in a quarterback's head that, you know, it, I, yeah, Malik has got the arm, he's got the legs, he can do all the stuff physically. Um, but those parts take time to refine. And, and that's true for every rookie quarterback. So I, I think, they're going to value that from Woodside and his ability to get them out of a game. If something was to happen to Tannehill, like, cause I mean, there's, there's the scenario like this that I always think of. And I think this is part of the thing that, that is going to make them want Woodside Tannehill's in the game. You know, you're up 24 to 17 on the Colts in the fourth quarter. Tannehill sprains an ankle has to go out of the game or, you know, just can't finish whatever. 
you don't need somebody to come in and make highlight plays. You need somebody to come in and take care of the football, get your offense run, hopefully get Henry, you know, the ball as much as possible and run the game out. (laughs) And that's something that I think they're going to trust Woodside to do. So I think for that reason, I think he's going to be valuable enough to keep on the roster at the expense of like a, of, sixth safety or whatever, whatever other position you want to throw an extra piece at. Uh, I think that's that value is there. Yeah. I, I largely agree with Mike. I kind of started, tried to start this conversation a few months ago. I, I had written an article uh, stating how Titans have never kept three quarterbacks in the John Robinson, Mike Vrabel era. They have never done it. Not one time on, at least on the initial 53 man roster. I didn't go through a week seven roster in 2017 to see if, you know, a guy got promoted, but they've never kept three initially. Um, and I still agree that that's going to be the case, but I won't lie. I started to wonder a little bit if there is a path where, and, and call this a, a cheat, a sort of a, a cheat code, but is there a path where just for a number's sake, they can keep two being Willis? You've got the practice squad rules, right? Can you get Woodside on the practice squad? Maybe elevate them for, I think you've got, what, four games? You can elevate them to the practice squad uh, four to the active roster. Can you do that the first four games and then maybe get them on the 53-man roster a little later when, you know, a couple injuries start to creep up and obviously your roster's constructed a little differently than it initially was. And I, I don't know how much that matters, but I am starting to wonder if there's a path to maybe that being the outcome. I think if you if you go that way, you have to worry about Arthur Smith stealing Logan Woodside but to it, teach it, Desmond it, Ritter it, the offense. In it would be Woodside's decision, though, would it not? That's true. It would be but, his decision. And aren't there rumors he's now like related to the family of apparently he's dating or, or marrying someone within the family of ownership? So I, I, I wonder if he would. I wonder how much they would worry about him actually getting away if that were to be the case. Yeah, it's possible. It's a very interesting question because, yeah, I, I think it is risky, right? Like, because, sure. you know, floating him out there. You would almost there. need a commitment from him, not to cut you off. Like, but you, you yeah. would almost need a commitment from him. That, and even if he goes – unless there's an injury in Atlanta, he's going to be quarterback three there as well, right? Maybe, but there's a faster route to being a franchise QB there than there is in <laughs> Tennessee, I think, because Mariota, injury-prone guy, Desmond Ritter. I know Mike is a huge Desmond Ritter fan as a prospect. <laughs> I've talked openly on this podcast how much I think he will struggle to be a successful NFL quarterback, but I know he's very smart, but can he play quarterback? So I do think Woodside would have a, a tough choice there to make. Mike had some thoughts there I want to hear. It, it is, um, it, I mean, because I feel like what, like Arthur Smith is definitely the clear threat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, I think there are, and it also depends kind of like, what does Woodside look like in preseason? You know, it, it is... He's been pretty good in preseasons uh, the last, what, in 2019, I think he played some preseason. And then 2021, uh, he had preseason action. And he he was pretty good in both of those preseasons. Not not blowing the doors off of of, of anything. Nobody's sitting there going, oh, my God, this is a guy's a future (laughs) starter. But as far as, like, a solid, like, Case Keenum-style backup, which are very valuable, like, those guys get paid, like, $10 million a year, I think he's got some potential to be that. Um, so I, yeah, I, I think it's, it's highly risky and, and you do risk him going to like, you know, if he is on the practice squad and there is an injury at another team where he could have an opportunity to start games, like even if he is, you know, dating whoever's you know daughter, <laughs> he, he's probably going to go take the opportunity to get some starts in the NFL level. Um, you, I think you can yeah. also protect them though, right? Like they can protect, which they would almost certainly would do, right? right yeah. Every team was protecting true. quarterbacks last year. True. That's true. I'm yeah, not saying so, it's going to happen. I've just started to wonder if there's a path where you can get away with the two QBs on the initial 53. If it comes down to a numbers game, right? And you hold on to them, and then you get them on the active roster week four, week five, or whatever. Yeah, I think someone at another position that they're not expecting would really have to impress for that to be the path, though. And the last thing I want to say about the quarterbacks before we get into those other positions and talk about who maybe that could be our buddy over at uh, Tic Tac Titans, who runs the Locked on Titans podcast, Tyler, he has some some divisive takes, but he does mostly good work over there, was talking recently on Twitter, this was a couple weeks ago now, about how Logan Woodside is stealing reps from Malik Willis. And if there's anyone out there that agrees with that take, let me just say to you that 
they need a guy in training camp and in these mini camps that they've been running who can line up the offense and get everyone in position and run exactly what they need to do. Someone who knows the offense like really well the way Woodside does, not somebody who's still learning it, to run the second team and the, or the third team, wherever he's going, so that they can properly evaluate the entire roster. You can't have Malik Willis out there stumbling over a play call or making a mental mistake, and then you know you don't get to see what Briley Moore gives you at tight end or you know just a random example, but something like that is the last thing I wanted to say on quarterbacks, if you have a response, Mike. I think, yeah, I think that's a valid point. And, and you know, people will hate to hear me say this, but I think there's a chance that when you open training camp, the first two receivers that set foot on the field as far as uh, 12 personnel snaps are actually Nick Westbrook Aquina and uh, Robert Woods. And so that's going to mean, you know, probably a lot of reps for Traylon Burks and Kyle Phillips with the twos. You're going to want those reps to be valuable for those guys. And, and if Woodside makes those reps more valuable, then yes, he is providing value to the team, even if he's not the quarterback of the future, which nobody is saying he is. You know, he is, he's a guy, but he's a valuable guy within the realm, the framework of the team, especially when they're having a lot of practice reps for twos and threes in training camp. Graver, quickly, I think of all the UDFA linemen, they have two, right? Like they got a bunch. Andrew Rupsich from Culver Stockton, Jalen McKenzie from USC. Uh, You've got Xavier Newman-Johnson from Baylor, Hayden Howerton from SMU, like, it's also important, right, that a guy like Woodside get those guys, uh, you know, practicing appropriately. So uh, I agree fully. Cool. So that's the quarterbacks. We probably think they will keep three. So keep that number in mind as we move on to the running back position, which is another one that presents sort of a unique, different situation than we've seen in past years. Because if you just count all the backs together, running backs and fullbacks, they're probably keeping five if you count Derrick Henry, Dontrell Hilliard as your third down back. You just drafted Hassan Haskins. You signed Trenton Cannon for a key special teams role. And you have Torrey Carter at fullback. That's a big group. You got eight quarterbacks and running backs if all those guys make the roster. Do you see room for someone else to crack? Jonathan, what's the Wilkins guy that was Jordan played? Wilkins Jordan Wilkins well. played a little bit. Um, I don't see how he could crack that group unless he just beats Cannon out for a special teams role. But... Or does Cannon make? Maybe Cannon doesn't make the team if there's a numbers crunch. But what are your thoughts there? I'll throw it to you first, Mike. Yeah, I would say uh, you know Cannon's an interesting guy to me because you know they clearly like him a lot just based on Ackerman's uh, kind of like gushing press conference the other day. Um, but you know he's not. Is he too much like Hilliard, um, or D, or does Hilliard Cannon become a battle? Um, you know, in, in camp, but I, I still think Hilliard's a pretty good running back. So I, I don't know, uh, you know, five seems like a lot. And, and I definitely think from a Jordan Wilkins standpoint, Wilkins is in a tough spot because I, I think Haskins is almost an identical duplicate of Jordan Wilkins skill set. So I, I think it's hard for me to see them keeping both of them. And obviously, unless, Haskins is just a disaster. They're going to opt for the rookie uh, that they just drafted in the fourth round. So I, Cannon, I think, is battling a lot of other positions, probably, um, and or Hilliard is kind of how I see it breaking down. It is, is can he pass Hilliard as a guy who could take some third round back reps, um, you know, be a little bit of a change of pace back? Or can he beat out guys like Racy McMath or, you know, your sixth or seventh cornerback? Um, guys like that on the roster for a special team spot. So that's kind of how right. I see the running back group breaking down. I think one of the most interesting things is, is as you, you mentioned, Mike, that was the thing that I really noticed is how much Ackerman gushed about Cannon as a kick returner the other day in his press conference. And to me, it felt like they were bringing him in to recur- return kicks. I, I don't see him as a huge threat to Hilliard's role on third down. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say Hilliard is, is a lock. No, there, there, there should be a battle there, but I don't see him as a huge uh, threat to actually winning that job. One thing I will say that could be interesting between the two of them is you don't have to keep uh, Cannon potentially if you're comfortable with Hilliard as a kick returner. I believe Hilliard returned eight kicks last year for the Titans. I got the numbers in front of me. Didn't return any punts last year, but he did return 15 punts as a member of the Browns in 2019. 
right? So it, it really, to me, that kind of depends on how they feel about him as a special teams player and as a returner. And if they just love Cannon as their kick returner, I think uh, Auk, well, Coach Auk mentioned how he averaged like 29 yards per kick return in 2019, I think it was. Uh, hasn't been able to duplicate those numbers since then, but it, it did make him a pretty valuable special teams player then. But if they like Cannon in that role, then there's a chance there's a chance he's not even competing against Hilliard per se. There's a chance he's competing against guys like Reggie Roberson, right? Who who, who could return kicks at receiver? And uh, and I think there was another guy in that. Was it Mason? Was it Kinsey or was Kinsey in the battle for punt return? I think. I think Kinsey yeah. was for punt. Um... But uh, it was Kyle, Kyle Phillips return kicks. Uh, I think yes. he was he was mentioned in that mix. Uh, and Hilliard did it last year a little bit. Um, yeah. So he'd be another option. So, yeah, I, I do think that'll – and McMath. It was, did you say McMath? Was I didn't say McMath, no. I think McMath was mentioned as one that they had looked at at, at kick return too. So there, there are some options there. But, yeah, I think he is – he's definitely the most experienced and, um, you know – Kick return has kind of been phased out of the game to a large degree. So there's certainly like a debate to be had about how valuable that spot really is. But I will say that if you have a particularly weak kick return, teams will target that and make you uh, return kicks and, and try to pin you inside your 20, which is a huge disadvantage when, uh, you know, most people, most other teams are starting their drives at the 25, you know, so that, that is, uh, you cannot be super weak at it, but I don't know that if you're great at it, it becomes a huge advantage because people just, they'll just touch, touch back you to death. I mean, they won't let you beat them. Right. I, I would worry about them being potentially super weak though. It feels like they have been weak there over the last couple of years. Well, that's what I was going to say about Cannon is that under Mike Vrabel, the Titans have never had a dynamic return man who can actually like, who threatens you at all. And I know those guys are kind of rare in the league, especially in today's league, but the Titans have been content to be a touchback team. And we've seen teams try to kick the ball where it, you know, is caught at the three yard line or whatever. And the Titans start drives at the 15 and that, you know, those 10 yards matter a lot, I think, especially when you're backed up that far. So maybe they will prioritize it this year just because they never have. Or maybe they won't because they never have. <laughs> That's I mean, a tough call. He, let's all keep in mind that John Robinson went out and signed Cannon, right? And he almost certainly did that due to his special team's ability. Now, of course, that doesn't make him a, a lot to make the roster, but it does at least show that it, it crossed John Robinson's mind, right? So do we think five running backs then, including Torrey Carter? I, I'm still leaning four. Um, I think it becomes an either or thing with Hilliard or Cannon. Um, but I, I could see it going five, but I'll, I'll put my, my vote for four right now. Hilliard did have a couple of touchdown catches in the mini camp, as noted by Jim Wyatt last week. So that's something interesting about him, I guess, um, that he's in, being involved in the pass catching role with the first, like Ryan Tannehill threw two touchdowns to Hilliard. So. First team offensive pass catching role for Hilliard. Maybe that's Tim Kelly influence. Maybe that's Todd Downing Raiders era. Lots of running back reception influence, but definitely an element of the Titans offense that has been kind of missing since DeMarco Murray caught passes in like 2016, really. So I do think Hilliard is a good chance to make it, which makes you think Cannon is the one really competing with. You mentioned Racy McMath. You mentioned Kyle Phillips and Mason Kinsey. Let's talk about the receivers because this is a group that I could see them keeping between four and six or landing at five. I think there's four guys who are complete locks, as we talked about last week, Justin, with the obvious guys at the top of the roster, Robert Woods, your first-round pick, Traylon Burks. Nick Westbrook has continued to develop, and the coaching staff continues to rave about him. And then Kyle Phillips, he also drafted this year. But the next spot or two spots – between Kinsey, McMath, Des Fitzpatrick, Josh Malone, who knows where these spots are going to go? Do you have any thoughts there, Justin? I mean, there's so many guys, right? And I, I know some of the others may not be taken quite as seriously, but Cody Hollister is back for like his fourth year in Tennessee. They got another UDFA out of Air Force, Brandon Lewis, Reggie Roberson, uh, one of the bigger name UDFAs out of SMU, gave him a nice guarantee. Uh, was once considered a, a, a draftable prospect, right, before injuries kind of reared their ugly head and derailed his college career. Uh, I think the biggest thing here for me is going to be, does it come down to one spot, and I would say two favorites for a spot, between Des Fitzpatrick and Josh Malone? I, I, those are the two that I'm most intrigued to watch throughout training camp. They've written a couple articles the Titans have this offseason on Des Fitzpatrick taking a step forward. I don't know if that's, you know, 
team propaganda, so to speak, or they're actually satisfied with what he's shown this offseason, taking that step forward. I made a prediction a couple of weeks ago that Josh Malone was going to be a guy to watch. I felt like a uh, like a psychic because the next day at practice, they were tweeting about how Josh Malone made like three or four touchdown catches and he was the, the talk of Titans Twitter. I'm really intrigued to see the battle, if there is a battle between those two the most. And is it a fair battle? Like, is it a 50-50 thing? If Josh Malone outproduces Des Fitzpatrick, does he automatically get that spot? Or is he at a disadvantage because they're really rooting for a Des Fitzpatrick where he would have to blow him out of the water? And, and, and the battles don't stop there, right? We're, t- you know, sometimes I feel like we're talking about Ray C. McMath, like he's a lock to make this roster. He's not a lock to make this roster. If they feel they've got enough gunners on special teams elsewhere, right? The Trenton Cannons and the uh, Jordan Wilkins surprises. You got a couple DBs, linebackers. They may not need Racy McMath on special teams, right? Say he doesn't show enough uh, growth as a receiver in year two. You could probably get away with releasing him. And then you look into, again, do both Fitzpatrick and, and, uh, and Malone make it? Is there a spot for a Kinsey, a Roberson? Like this thing can go so many different ways. It's really intriguing. It, it is to me like one of the most uh, interesting groups to watch. It is almost every year, I feel like. But, you know, one thing that the Titans, if you look back over the Vrabel era, they have kept at least six wide receivers every single year. Um, so I think they are going to keep probably six, um, maybe, maybe more. Uh, they did keep seven last year. Um, so I think there's potential for, you know, I, I think, Woods, Burks, Westbrook, Aquina, Phillips are locks. I think those are stone cold locks. Those are going to be on the roster. And then the questions become, you know, yeah, Fitzpatrick versus Malone, which is an interesting battle, uh, you know, McMath thrown in there. And then can Kinsey uh, or, or like one of these UDFA guys force their hand uh, to keep another? Because, I mean, what you're really looking for, I guess, out of wide receiver five and six is, is – you know, do you have, you know, a, a skill or do you have backups for all of the positions in front of, in front of them? And, and I think this is where a guy like Nick Westbrook Aquina uh, actually has a lot of value on the roster, because as we've heard them say many, many times, he can back up every single position across, you know, XY, uh, you know, slot, whatever you want him to play. He knows the position he can play it. They can stick him in there. They trust him. So, I feel like that that gives the Titans flexibility to just keep the best players at the back end. So, you know, you've got guys that can play multiple spots, uh, you know, especially Nick Westbrook, but also I think Robert Woods could play multiple spots uh, pretty easily. And so you got to find special teams help because I think one of the things um, that we maybe haven't talked about enough in the off season generally, and then, it's really not the time to talk about it just yet because we, we haven't seen what the roster is really going to look like. Uh, but the gunner situation, I mean, because uh, Dane Crookshank for, for a long time was one of the, the team's biggest gunners. Uh, I know Chris Jackson has done it some um, and he's back, but they lost Crookshank. They lost, uh, they, you know, they could potentially choose not to keep um, Racy McMath. So if you don't keep McMath, it's Cannon then you know, ha- almost has to be a gunner, I feel like. And then you've got Chris Jackson, you've got, you know, maybe guys like Theo Jackson, uh, you know, some of the the younger uh, corners that you could stick over there. But that that's an important role, um, you know, on the on those special teams units. So um, and, and frankly, McMath didn't really blow me away in, in that role last year. I was expecting him to be a little bit more impressive, given all the hype coming out of LSU about how great he was on special teams and all that. He didn't really do a whole lot uh, his first year. Now, rookie a rookie on special teams is a rookie like anything else. Like it's going to take some time when you get in the league, but um, he needs to show a little bit more to make the roster both as a receiver and as a special teams player, in my opinion, because I feel like he's got a lot of competition there uh, at that wide receiver spot for those last two spots on the roster, basically. One thing I'll quickly add that's interesting is uh, to my knowledge, uh, Fitzpatrick and Malone don't really play special teams, right? So that could be something that could hurt them potentially and might help a McMath. And I I think our point has been made, but I just want to reiterate to our listeners it goes back to the overarching theme of this podcast is roster construction. Mike mentioned how you've, they've kept six or more every year. Well, now if you're keeping three quarterbacks or you're keeping five running backs, 
does that spot potentially get sacrificed, right? So there, there really is a lot to follow along with here throughout training camp. Yeah, totally. And I think that the the point about having a guy who can play multiple spots makes someone like Mason Kinsey a little bit redundant if, you know, they really are impressed with Kyle Phillips as much as the fan base loves Mason Kinsey. And we might have him on the pod soon. I don't know if I should say that in case it falls through, but whatever, there it is. Um, <laughs> and then with the like Josh Malone versus Des Fitzpatrick battle, you wonder if Des has special favor because they drafted him and they want him to work out. But if you look at John Robinson's they didn't have history, it last year, yeah. <laughs> Don Robinson doesn't care where he how he adds guys to the roster. He doesn't have an ego about making his draft picks work. We saw it. We've seen him cut guys really quickly into their Titans careers. We saw like Des Fitzpatrick. <laughs> yeah, uh, Cole McDonald got cut like two days into training camp. Isaiah Wilson was traded after one year. Um, the Vic DeAndre Beasley. Walker made it one year. Vic Beasley, Jonathan Joseph, midseason. See ya. So I think they'll he'll listen to Vrabel and and Rob Moore, and they'll come to a decision on which guy helps the team the most. They're not gonna look at because they drafted him and traded up in the fourth round to get him that they have to keep him to make him work out. Like I don't think they care about that at all. And the funny thing on Malone versus Fitzpatrick kind of turning into a battle is, is Malone is kind of the Bengals version of Des Fitzpatrick, right? Like he was drafted in the fourth round in 2017, did almost nothing for the Bengals his first year, and then was out of town after two years uh, and then played for the Jets, didn't well, played sparingly for the Jets, was on the Jets roster the last uh, or in 19 and 20. And I think he was on a practice squad somewhere last year. I'm not sure. Steelers maybe. Um, but uh yeah, he's kind of a fourth round pick that turned into nothing. I, honestly, similar skill set, six three, you know, two hundred plus pounds, you know, good size, but you know, not a whole lot of wiggle. Um, it's, it'll be really interesting to watch those guys. You know, can can Josh Malone or can uh, you know Des Fitzpatrick one point uh, beat out Des Fitzpatrick two point So we'll right. see what happens there. And Vrabel called him out by name, said this is a guy who's been taking advantage of opportunities. So. You know, they love guys who take advantage like that, and we've seen them have reclamation-type projects. He also mentioned past examples of reclamation projects, guys that didn't work out that they were able to pick up, like Zach Cunningham, Buster Screen. So it'll be interesting to see how that position plays out. One of the more intriguing battles is the back end of the wide receiver. Another intriguing battle is back end of the offensive line. It's a position group. Sometimes you keep eight. Sometimes you keep nine. We The Titans don't really have nine guys that have proven they belong in the NFL right now, which makes it even harder to project. They still have some cap space, about $13 million in cap space they could use to sign like an Eric Flowers or somebody out there on the market, but that has not happened yet. We've been speculating on this podcast that it could happen for weeks now. Obviously, there's no rush with a month until training camp starts, but... The offensive line could have like a domino effect on how many receivers they can keep, how many running backs they can keep, if they can do the three quarterback thing we've been talking about. So, Mike, to you first, we know who like the top six or seven O linemen are, but how do you think the back end of that group can shake out? Yeah, it's interesting. I, I definitely think there's seven uh, that are pretty safe. Um, you know, obviously, Lawan Brewer, Ben Jones, Nate Davis, Dylan Radens, uh, Jamarco Jones, and NPF. Uh, those guys are going to make the roster. The questions become, who do you, who else do you have? Cause you got to keep eight at least. Um, you're, you're probably going to, I mean, I, I think you almost, well, I'll say <laughs> at the risk of, of, uh, you know, triggering a lot of Titan fans. This is where Raidens and Jamarco Jones having some position positional flexibility uh, does come in a little bit handy. You might be able to get by with keeping eight because uh, if you had to slide somebody around, at least they've ha had some snaps there. They kind of understand the system as a guard uh, or as a tackle um, that, that you could maybe move those guys around uh, a little bit if you needed to due to injury. But uh yeah, I don't know. I mean, Corey Levin, uh, Christian Delaro, like a bunch of UDFA guys are kind of the, you know, eight through however many they've actually got on the roster right now options. And I don't feel great about any of them. I mean, Levin's fine. I, I think he's a decent backup. He can at least he at least gives you a, a backup center, um, you know, especially which is especially important in the in the case that Aaron Brewer is your starting left guard. I feel like that gives Corey Levin a little bit better chance to make the roster because he can snap. He can't play center. So 
I, I kind of feel like he's the eighth guy to me right now. And then, you know, maybe you want another tackle body uh, to be able to throw out there if you had to, but I, I don't know who that is. And, and unless they sign somebody and I'm, I'm definitely with you guys, as far as I'm pro Eric flowers being on this football team, um, you know, he, he's, a good left guard. Uh, the Titans don't have anybody who we know is a good left guard right now. We have a couple guys that maybe could be decent left guards, but uh, Flowers certainly raises the floor for this offensive line considerably. And I don't know. I, I just wish they'd get it done. Get it done. Right. I feel like Mike is kind of in my head because a lot of what I was about to say is they've got seven. They've got seven surefire NFL caliber offensive linemen. A lot of teams keep nine. Some teams even keep 10, right? I'd say right now they've got seven. There's a chance one of these UDFAs is an NFL quality player, right? We don't really know that yet. But if Jalen McKenzie impresses as a backup tackle, if one of the, again, Hayden Howerton and Xavier Newman-Johnson, the two interior UDFAs, are semi-interesting to me because if you look at their college careers, they played a ton of guard and center. So they clearly targeted guys that can play all three interior positions. So there's a chance there. One, one really good point Mike made that I hadn't thought of earlier is that if Aaron Brewer wins the starting left guard job, then that probably does raise Corey Levin's chances because uh, he can snap, right? Whereas if Jamarco Jones wins the job, you may not need Levin because you feel good about Brewer backing up all three interior spots. Uh, I'm glad, Mike, that you mentioned uh, the possibility of carrying eight because I've really been wondering that lately. And I was starting to think, am I being unrealistic? Is eight, you know, too few? Of course, all eight would have to be active on game day, right? You, you, you couldn't possibly have one inactive if you only keep eight. Um, but I do wonder, I, I thought of that positional versatility. Look, let's say Jamarco Jones wins the starting left guard job, uh, for example. Then who are your three backups? You've got Aaron Brewer, who can back up all three interior spots. And then say you've got a, a Nicholas petit Friere who uh, you, you would hope you like him enough where maybe he could back up left tackle and right tackle. Now that's asking a lot of him as well, possibly, right? Just like what we said about Traylon Burks earlier and Malik Willis, that is possibly asking a lot of NPF, but he has played left tackle and right tackle in college. So I'm, and the situation for him is a little different compared to Raiden's, right? He played at Ohio state. Raiden's played at North Dakota state. Raiden's didn't really have a final season of college ball due to COVID. Whereas NPF started a ton of games at, at, at a, you know, a power, house program so there's a good chance he's more ahead of the curve than uh Raiden's was in year one right so I'm hoping there's a chance maybe he backs up left tackle and right tackle and then you only need to keep an eighth right and and say there's a you know for whatever reason the low the low chances that uh another tackle gets hurt in the game then you can kick out as you said Jamarco Jones who's played a bunch of left tackle and right tackle right so he could almost act, uh, uh serve as your other backup tackle so to speak and then you put Aaron Brewer in at, at guard uh, you know, God forbid you get two injuries to a tackle in one game, but uh, there are a lot of moving parts here. I would like to think as the way the roster is constructed right now that you only keep eight. Cause if you keep a ninth, um, I, I think there's a good chance you probably cut a better football player in just to keep a ninth offensive line. Yeah. I would yeah. Agree with that. A big question I have is who's that guy that comes onto the field to play in jumbo, like big tight end? Is it is it Brewer who plays as like the sixth guy outside of a tackle? Or do you put NPF in that role early on, ask him to learn like special packages, sub packages? But is that I the think, only what? I think yeah. Brewer did it a bit last year, didn't he? Not I think he lost, did. But... I remember yeah. he had a, a target in like a, yeah. they <laughs> ran a trick play to him. So he must have been on the field at one point. In time. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think Brewer Brewer could do it if he's not the starter. Like if he's the starter, then the I think thing. it becomes either Jones or uh, or MPF, one of the two. Yeah, well, we'll see how the back of that group shakes out. If any UDFA's impress in training camp, um, the last position on offense we haven't talked about is tight end, which feels the most cut and dry. Definitely of any position group on offense, maybe of any position group on the team. You have your three tight ends that you think are locks to make the roster with a free agent addition Austin Hooper returning player Jeff Swaim and the draft pick Chig Aquanco is there any chance one of these other guys makes the roster I I just don't see how they would but Mike I'll ask you first yeah I, I think you know and there's guys and I guess 
part of the thing is Tommy Hudson's injury. You know, they had a card out uh, according to practice reports. So that's generally not a great sign. Now, I, I guess they haven't put him on IR yet, which maybe right. gives him a chance that he could make it back into training camp. Uh, but you know, Hudson would probably be the next guy that I would say would have a shot because he's actually been on the active roster before he's played in some games and, and he was actually pretty okay uh, when he was out there before getting hurt. So um, Hudson, I think could have a chance. Briley Moore was a guy that they liked, I think uh, coming out of Kansas state. Um, and, you know, I could see some, some potential with him, but it's really hard for me to see either of those guys making the actual roster. I think they're, they're probably ticketed for the practice squad um, and, and then could be called up as needed. Right. I can see both of those guys making the practice squad, right? A situation where maybe you keep two tight ends there and Tommy Hudson, Riley Moore. And then if it, again, back to roster construction, right? Maybe you get away with keeping a fourth tight end. If you really like one of them, if you feel good about keeping just the four running backs or the two quarterbacks, eight offensive linemen, you know, five receivers, yada, yada. So many different variables uh, play a role there. But I do ultimately agree that it's pretty cut and dry that the, the three are, they're all locks, right? Swain. And if you don't think Jeff Swain's a lock, Ladies and gentlemen, they gave him three and a half million dollars guaranteed, right? On one year. Jeff Swain's a lock, right? He's on the 2022 roster. So, uh, a quote, of course, you know, the reports have been so uh, excellent coming out of practice. So, those three guys are going to make the roster. And I ultimately agree they probably only keep three this year. Right. All right. Let's flip over to defense and uh, talk about the. I'm going to talk, start with the cornerback group because I think this is another one that's fairly cut and dry. Maybe a little bit of competition at the back end, but you obviously have your starting three guys in what we expect to be Caleb Farley, Christian Fulton, Elijah Molden, just drafted Roger McCreary, Buster Screen coming back, and Chris Jackson. Is there anyone else that you think could make the uh, cornerback room? I guess I'm counting Theo Jackson as a safety in this conversation. So note that and then six cornerbacks yeah that's that's kind of where i have it right now i think it's those six i mean greg maven could make the roster i mean he, he did perform well for them in spot duty last year um that's probably the only other guy i think that really well I, i'll say this i mean trace willing is an interesting udfa too but it's going to be hard that that's a really good group of six cornerbacks when your worst of that group is probably either Buster screen, who was really good for them last year or uh, Chris Jackson, who was also really pretty good for them last year. So I think that's a really solid group. It's going to be a tough group to crack for, you know, guys like Swilling or Mabin. Um, but that's a, that's a really good place to have good numbers. And the Titans are fortunate to have a really solid group at corner. Yeah. You know, this group is almost, almost as cut as dry, cut and dry as the tight ends are, you know, if you, if you want to mirror one to the other, uh, I agree that those six are almost all a lock, right? I, I would almost, is it crazy to, call six cornerbacks a lock because I feel like all six of them are, are very, very likely to make the roster. And again, could you keep a seventh potentially? And I, I like both uh, Greg Maben and Trey Swilling as well. Anyone else here, I think uh, is, is really up against the ringer. I think they got another UDFA out of uh, Rutgers, I believe named Trey Avery. Uh, I, I think is a corner that they have in, in camp as well. But uh, I think this group is, as you said, cut. I'm, I'm curious to see how the roles play out, right? I, right. I think Caleb Farley's your starter, starting outside corner, Elijah Molden at the nickel. Um, how do you get Roger McCurry on the field? We've all sort of ha had our own uh, intriguing theories and come up with creative ways they could do that, potentially moving Molden around uh, to, to, to um, even the role that Crookshank played at times last year and getting McCurry on the field there. Uh, so there are a lot of moving pieces here, but ultimately I think the most important thing to keep in mind here is there's, these are six really good cornerbacks they have here. Right. And I think the safety group is fairly cut and dry as well. You obviously have Bayard and Hooker as your starters. You just drafted Theo Jackson and you signed AJ Moore mainly to play special teams. He let Dane Crookshank go. So he's not an option anymore. And besides those four, I think that's probably the group. And Mikey made an interesting point in our group chat the other day about how having position versatility, Chris Jackson can play a little safety. Elijah Molding can play a little safety. Theo Jackson can play a little cornerback that you could probably keep 10 total secondary guys and be perfectly fine. And that's a really deep group of secondary. And one thing we're going to discover as we continue to talk about the defense here compared to the offense, the depth on the defensive side of the ball is so much better than what the Titans have on offense right now that 
you know, if they stay healthy on offense, they'll be good. But if they suffer some injuries, it's going to get tough. I can't really say that about the defense. I think they could survive a handful of injuries, not that you want them to, but if they had to on defense. So is there a chance that a fifth safety cracks that group, Mike? You know, I think it would be hard to keep a fifth safety uh, if you're keeping six corners, um, unless the the sixth, the the fifth safety was just like a, a special teams dynamo of some sort that, that you were trying to force onto the roster somewhere. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, the, point you made about the um you know vers- versatility of some of these guys I, and i think it what is going to be really interesting is because i mean amani hooker really even still has some versatility i mean he played uh slot corner in college and was uh, i think what pff's highest graded slot corner in like the history of grading slot corners at the time when he came out i believe wow. um and he so and, and he's shown some ability to come in, down and roll down and play man-to-man coverage against tight ends and things like that so what's gonna be really interesting is gonna be the roles that these guys get slotted into because i, I think that's gonna be like the most fascinating thing to watch because there's gonna be roles for probably what you know six seven defensive backs uh on this roster as far as like regular defensive snaps i think um because you're gonna have the the three corners in your nickel package and your two safeties but i think they're gonna run a lot of dime and they're probably gonna have some guys that are almost matchup dependent you know whether it be like mccreary versus molden in the slot or uh you know maybe you you have some situations where chris jackson and you know you need to get a little bit more length on the field in the slot and you want chris jackson in there you know and again chris jackson's guy played inside he's played outside he can play safety like they've got these guys that that are depth pieces that have a lot of experience and a lot of versatility and those guys become very very valuable on the roster and like i feel like it's like this whole genre of player often gets hated on by titans twitter at times because like chris jackson this nick westbrook akina like i get like these guys are not superstars they're probably never going to be superstars but they're really solid players that can do a lot for your team in a lot uh, on special teams position versatility like all that stuff and it makes a difference it really does and like coaches look for that because they can only keep 40 what 48 guys total active on game days if you keep uh, you know eight offensive linemen um and there, there's just not that many bodies out there to like to to play and fill these roles so they've got to have guys that they can plug in if somebody goes down um and and jackson i think is is a guy that yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see Chris Jackson playing a good bit this year uh, and finding a way to get on the field. So it's uh, it's an interesting group. And if, I, I will say that if if I had to pick one of those top six corners to, to drop, it might be screened just because of his age. And if a guy like Swilling really does come in and push, you might say, uh, I could keep a 23-year-old rookie or a 33-year-old veteran. You know, maybe I'll just want to throw, throw my lot in with the rookie here and let him kind of grow up and learn on the job. So, right. Yeah, totally possible. Um, let's move inside here to the inside linebacker position. Can I make where... a quick note at safety, Graver, just oh, for, for our sure. listeners? Um, yeah, yeah I, I think the four is obvious. Uh, I, I won't spend a lot of time on it. If they, if they do, they probably won't keep five, but just to remind people who's maybe battling for that spot. If you're a college football fan, you're probably familiar with Shaheen Carter, who played like 50 games at Alabama, uh, 23 starts at that stop, quote unquote star position for the Crimson Tide. So obviously a, a well-known guy coming out of college. Uh, they got a Michael Griffin Jr. who is not related <laughs> to Titans legend, Michael Griffin, uh, who's a small school guy, I think coming out of South Dakota. He's a UDFA. And uh, they also have Rodney Clements who played college football at SMU. Uh, this is his second year in the league. Can't remember where he spent last year, but those are sort of your three, um, your, your fifth, sixth, and seventh safeties in training camp that are, that are looking to compete for a spot. Interesting. Yeah, so we will move now to inside linebacker where you have your obvious starters, David Long Jr. and Zach Cunningham, which felt like David Long Jr. took so much longer to get on the field as a starter than every single person thought he should, and I feel like we were all right, and I don't know what took so long, but Sean Evans, Jayon Brown. Jim Haslett, that's what took so long. <laughs> have departed in the offseason along with Jim Haslam, all gone. Um Monty Rice drafted last year, Chance Campbell drafted this year, and then you have Dylan Cole, who is a special teams ace. They probably only keep five, right? Are there is there a sixth or seventh guy that could 
compete with, I guess, with Cole or maybe with Campbell was a, a day three pick, so his spot's not guaranteed, although you'd expect him to make the roster being a, a rookie this year. But thoughts there? My initial take is that it's pretty cut and dry here, that it's the five. It, it's Cunningham long with Rice, Cole, and Campbell kind of backing those guys up. Um, and, and I think that's a really good group. Um, you know, again, and we keep saying that about the defense, right, that this is a really good group. They have a lot of really good groups uh, on this side of the ball, and uh, I think this is one of them. they got plenty of experience. They've got, you know, different, different skill sets, uh, and they've got some young guys that are kind of coming into their own. So, it, I yeah, I, I'm perfectly comfortable with those five, and I think that's almost a lot uh, to, to say that those will be the five on the 53. Yeah. Yeah, I, I largely agree. The one guy that I, I laugh, I don't think, I bet more than half the pod have no idea who I'm talking about. Uh, no one ever remembers Joe Jones, who I guess, you know, kind of played here last year. Joe Jones has been in the league since 2017. Like, he, he's hung around, right? It's, it's not a, a brand-new player. And they brought it back again this year. Like, he's in training camp. Uh, this year, they signed him to a reserve future contract in January. That's another guy that can potentially play some special teams. So I do ultimately agree uh, with, with Mike that those two final spots probably go to Chance Campbell and, and Dylan Cole. I expect Campbell, I, you know, I, I don't know a ton about him yet, but I expect he can play special teams, and that's probably where he carves out a role for himself. There's also a, a tackle machine, right, UDFA out of Minnesota, Jack Gibbons, uh, in this room who recorded a, a ridiculous amount of tackles that that's that can get interesting for me right do they see jack gibbons maybe as a younger version of dylan cole right can mm -hmm. he play special teams and uh kind of going back to what mike said about the buster screen versus trey swilling thing right if you got a chance to keep a linebacker that's four years younger and you're confident in the special team's ability but then again i also think you know cole has been such a, a good special teams player that it's probably going to be tough to dethrone him uh from that role but curious to see if if, if uh, Joe Jones and Jack Gibbons can make this a battle uh, in training camp alongside the likes of Dylan Cole and uh, Chance Camp. And that totally could just come down to special teams, who impresses more on special teams or who has a better preseason with the third-team defense. Or um, injury, right? Or, there, there's yeah. probably two spots for those four linebackers right there. And what about Will Compton? <laughs> yeah, bring him back, baby. Bring him back. Year 10. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think Will's content to be podcasting these days. Um, Feels like it. Let's talk about the other linebacker group, the outside linebackers or the edge position group here, which, I mean, as we go through the defense again, a lot of these are pretty cut and dry. I don't think there's much competition here either. Harold Landry, Bud Dupree are your starters outside. Ola Adeni is another special teams ace who also gives you more juice than I expected coming off the edge. And Rashad Weaver, uh, last year's fourth-round pick, coming back from a significant leg injury, hoping to take a step forward. Um, they have some UDFA guys here and some competition, but I think these are your four outside linebackers, are they not, Justin? Yeah, I, I think it's pretty obvious that they're going to roll with this four, and, and, and I'm sure Mike was going to make the point. I'm going to steal it from him right now that uh, Dina Coatri's flexibility, right, to kick outside, as he did on, on so many occasions last year, kind of removes the, nece the necessity to keep a fifth outside linebacker, right, or a fifth edge rusher. So I, I think this is relatively cut and dry. I, I will say I am inter uh, in interested in the UDFA out of Houston, David Anini, um, who, who kind of gives them some juice there, and I believe got a pretty big signing bonus as a UDFA to come to Tennessee. That could sometimes be a telltale sign that they like a guy, right? Didn't they give uh, Derek Roberson a pretty big signing bonus once upon a time? I think Sharif Finch uh, got a pretty big one once upon a time, and both those guys made the roster initially. So there is some intrigue with, with, with a ninny there, but uh, I think he's going to have a really tough time ultimately. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree there. I think it's it's those four, and like you said, that Autry, and, and to some extent, we'll talk about him in just a minute, a little bit more, uh, Demarcus Walker's yeah. positional versatility uh, lends them a couple extra bodies that can play outside. Because, I mean, really, the Titan snaps is like a true, and people still, like, we still talk about the, the roster this way, but, and and this is still, I think, how people most, most people view the team is like as a traditional 3-4. Like, this team is such a hybrid defense in most NFL defenses are at this point, but like they play so much just four down, you know, traditional, you know, fronts that it's, it's, it's all about like, again, it's about roles. It's not about like your position so much as it's about your 
played a ton of like four down defensive end for them last year and with you know Landry or Dupree lining up across from him on the other side and then you know either Tart or, or Jones and Simmons on the inside so like those kind of roles make it to where you don't necessarily have to keep five or six outside linebackers at this point like you're going to have you know, an ability to get a guy on a field in that position that, that you can make work with one of your fronts. If, if you just had a, like an injury, you know, avalanche in a game. So, right. um, yeah, it, it's, it's, you almost kind of have to look at the outside linebacker group and the defensive line group is like, they kind of blend together at the edges, just like safety and cornerback kind of do. Right. Right. They yeah, don't which... even have, sorry, quickly. They don't even have that much competition at these spots. It's not like they've got a bunch of guys, uh, on the roster right now in training camp outside of the ones, I think the only one we didn't touch on. And again, Titans fans will probably have no idea who this is, is Justin Lawler. He, he's on the roster. He's actually drafted in the seventh round uh, by the Los Angeles Rams in 2018. They signed him earlier this year. The Titans did and had quite a bit of juice at SMU recorded a ton of sacks there. I think he had nearly 10 sacks um, uh, in his final year as a senior at SMU, but outside of Lawler and Nene, they don't really have anyone else. Yeah. We should get him on the pod so we can do Justin, Justin, and Justin. But um, anyway, <laughs> talking about the position groups blending together, let's move to that defensive line because, as you were just saying, Mike, like it, in my head, the starters are Jeffrey Simmons and Danico Autry and Harold Landry and Bud Dupree. Like that's the starting defensive line in my brain. But then you also have obviously Tier Tart comes in it for nose tackle and plays if you are in a more traditional three-four front. You got T.R. Tardit can play nose tackle. You got Naquan Jones, who impressed as a UDFA last year and replaced Daquan Jones almost perfectly um, as a potential nose tackle. Obviously, you drafted Laurel Murchison last year, and you just mentioned they signed to Marcus Walker earlier this offseason. But there's also a handful of undrafted free agent guys, and this is a position that, you know, as an undrafted free agent, like, it's really hard to make a roster as an undrafted free agent quarterback, right? But as an undrafted free agent defensive tackle, the Titans have kept almost one every year for the past like few years, it feels like. And they have some guys, Haskell Garrett, Jaden Peavy, Sam Oak. Okay, uh, that one's a tough one. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but um, Haskell Garrett's Ohio State ties. Jaden Peavy was very productive in college. Like there, This is a potential competition to watch. And maybe the only real competition for roster spots on defense here is at the you know, interior D-line. Yeah, and it's it's gonna. I feel like that's gonna be just like a a, a brawl in that position battle at the like at the bottom of the the group there because you know like you said I think Simmons and Autry clearly are are gonna make it, but and, and I think Naquan Jones is is safe. I think Tier Tart is probably safe. Um, the only hesitation there is is you know he de did deal with some injuries last year. Um, is if he can't stay healthy, he could crack the door for uh, one of these guys because there's a lot of guys, and you mentioned them, you know, Haskell Garrett uh, from Ohio State and um, uh, Jaden Peavy from Texas A&M. Those are, those are some pretty good UDFA signings that, that have a real chance to make the roster, and then you throw DeMarcus Walker in there, Laurel Murchison still – you can get like, I think you, you will probably see them keep six just because there's so many good players here, um, which is more than they really need. But, you know, it's, it's almost kind of borrowing a position from outside linebacker. Cause I, I think the baseline traditionally has been like five defensive linemen, five outside linebackers, five inside linebackers, five corner, five safety. It's kind of like the, your baseline for a three, four setup. But, you know, now I think with Autry and Walker in the mix, you really could definitely keep six and four at defensive line and outside linebacker and, and still be able to make it work. Um, but yeah, I'm super fascinated to see how the, the kind of bottom of this battle shakes out. Cause they've got a lot of good options. And uh, I, I think this will be one of the strengths of the team. Um, if not the strength of the team, it was last year. So I, and they just added more talent uh, to that group uh, this year. So I, I think, I'm really excited to see how this all pans out. And and I think one last one is, is Demarcus Walker to me, like a little bit of a, 
you know, underrated signing to me because he's had a couple seasons where he's gotten four sacks for the Broncos in a spot role, which is basically what the Titans would be asking him to do. And if you're getting four sacks from like a spot duty, like a pass rush specialist role, you're doing some work because you're getting a lot of sacks and not a lot of snaps. So to me, him is like a pass rush specialist who can come in and, and kind of give you matchups or give you, you know, the ability to rush in with that group is really intriguing and I'm interested to see how he kind of fits in with the rest of this defense if he makes a roster because there, there is a lot of competition there but I think he is a, uh, a, a sneaky good signing and I'm glad that the, the Titans were able to bring him in yeah yeah and uh, keep in mind that the Colts were very interested in, in bringing him in right he took free agent visits to Tennessee and Indianapolis before ultimately deciding and he spoke recently at camp and he mentioned that John Robinson placing a personal phone call to him is kind of what helped him uh, make his decision and, and, and go with Tennessee. So uh, I, I agree. I think Walker's a, a semi-lock. I will stop short of calling him a lock just because there's so much competition here. One of the most intriguing things, and Mike said it, but this is almost the version of receiver on the defense, right? There's, there's so many, I, I think certainly the most intriguing position group on, on the defense when it comes to battling for 53 man roster spots, Laurel Murchison versus Jaden PV versus Haskell Garrett versus the Maryland, the Maryland kid whose name you already butchered. So I won't further embarrass myself. I'm <laughs> glad you did it first. Um, mm-hmm. Those four guys could potentially be battling for one spot. And, and one thing I may have said it on last week's episode, I, I can't remember, but I, I think everyone's always quick to kind of count out Laurel Murchison in that battle, at least what I'm seeing. Like, they're ready to replace him with a Jaden PV or a Haskell Garrett. One thing I think that's really important to remember before you do that, and I, and I think it's something that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel will take into account that the average fan may not always take into account, is age. Just because Laurel Murchison's got two years of, of, of uh, NFL, uh, you know, work under his belt already, doesn't mean he's an older player than a Jaden Peavy or a or Haskell Garrett. I wish I had the ages in front of me, but I am like 99% sure. Remember, some of these guys played five years in college, right? Like Garrett and Peavy did. Whereas Murchison came out of NC State after what, three years? It's like a raw prospect so from an age perspective it's not like these udfas are two or three years younger than laurel murchison you may think they are you may feel they are because they haven't played in the nfl yet but that's not the case laurel came out of college early right so from an age perspective they're essentially the same age so that's one thing that i think is really important to keep in mind here before you write off uh laurel murchison chance laurel murchison's chances excuse me but uh, two guys we didn't mention, again, I, I think they're certainly up against it or are probably a level below this group is Alabama legend Deshaun Hand is still here. A guy yeah, who's, who's kind of, I know, failed to live up to the billing coming out of college, but he's still a member of the Titans and he's going to have a chance to compete. And I guess I, I'm always, I feel like I'm the one that's always championing for these back end roster guys, but I kind of try to look at it that everyone has a chance, right? Everyone's got a chance to prove themselves in training camp. That's the way the Titans approach it. Kevin Strong, right, is a four-year NFL pro that's on this roster as well. Initially signed with their practice squad in November of last season. Actually got promoted to the active roster towards the end of the year last year. I think it might have been week 17 or week 18 even. And here he is back in training camp. I always say, let the team's patterns help make up your opinion, help make up your decision. If they brought in Kevin Strong to the practice squad last year, kept him for two months, promoted him to the active roster, and then decided to bring him back for training camp 2022, then they probably kind of like Kevin Strong, right? <laughs> like they, they don't hate Kevin Strong, right? So uh, give all these guys a chance to compete. And I, I cannot wait to watch these defensive linemen go to work every single day during training camp. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see if there are any surprises in that group because you mentioned guys that definitely could stand out that we that we aren't thinking of right now. And uh, a spot we probably won't get any surprises, although it's not impossible, is the specialist group rounding that out. One kicker, one punter, one long snapper. We know that that number won't change. You expect Randy Bullock, Brett Kern, and Morgan Cox, the incumbents, to, to continue to be in those roles, but they did bring in an undrafted free agent kicker who – Got hurt in the mini camp, so we'll see if he's ready for training camp. We don't have any information on his injury. And uh, the punter they brought in, Ryan Stonehouse, is had a great college career. Brett Kern's getting a little bit up there in age. His contract that was renegotiated this year to bring his number down, but, you know, still high for, for a punter. 
Do you think there's a chance we see a turnover at kicker or punter this year, Mike? I, I think there's an outside chance because I, I do feel like Shudak uh, got a little bit of buzz out of out of OTAs and, and offseason work. And I feel like most people that, that were there and saw him kick felt like he kicked the ball pretty well. So, you know, you never know with kickers. Um, you know, all it takes is is, you know, it feels like, you know, confidence to slide one way or another, and all of a sudden it just goes. Um, but I think there is a potential opening for Shudak. I, I think Bullock is definitely the favorite. Um, and I'd say Shudak's chances are probably 10% or less, but I think the door is definitely cracked. And, you know, it's Stonehouse, the punter is really interesting to me too, because I, you almost wonder if they're not going to try to get somebody stashed away this year preferably that they can work with kind of behind the scenes and, and keep on the practice squad and have, you know, it, look, Kern's definitely getting up there. I think he's 38, uh, I believe somewhere around there. He's, he's uh, one of the older players, 36. Uh, 36. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he's punted for a long time in the NFL at this point they're going to want somebody around that will take some punts off of his leg, like in practice and stuff like that. I think uh, even during the regular season. So I think they'll probably try to keep Stonehouse or, you know, depending on how things go, obviously maybe another punter around on the practice squad, but you know, the Titans surely would love to have a young punter waiting in the wings kind of by next off season because Kern's contract has been pretty expensive for a punter. I think he's making three or $4 million a year uh, in that range now, which is a lot uh, compared to, you know, if you look at a UDFA punter salary would be somewhere around $800,000. Um, you know, that's, that's some money that you could apply at other positions if, uh, if you wanted to. So eventually uh, he will be replaced. I don't think it's going to happen this year though. I think Mike brings up a great point that Stonehouse may be a guy you stash on the practice squad. And, and, and as you said, that allows you to work with them the entire year, right. And, and kind of uh, get him and, and really gives you a, a really long evaluation period, right. To see how much comfort you have with him potentially being your punter of the future. Shudak is the one, of course, uh, you know, flipping to the kicker situation is the one that really intrigued me because uh, I got a chance to interview him. That's up on broadwaysportsmedia.com. It has been up for uh, about two months now, if you haven't had a chance to read it um, by all accounts, it sounded like they showed a ton of interest in him throughout the pre-draft process. He talked about them going to his pro day, hosting multiple meetings with him, telling him he was going to get a fair chance to compete for a roster spot. Now, I would expect uh, position coaches to say that, but, uh, you, you know, you, at some point he has to trust his own intuition. And of all the teams he met with, um, you know, and I believe the New Orleans Saints were, were really strong players to land him as well. He felt really good about the opportunity in Tennessee. Remember that UDFAs are making decisions for themselves and what they believe sets them up to potentially make a roster, right? So his intuition told him that Tennessee was going to give him the best chance. And there was interest in him from other teams uh, to sign him as a UDFA. So uh, that to me says it could, it could be a battle. Obviously the injury he suffered at training camp, which we know nothing about uh, that certainly hurts, but luckily for him, you know, what, six, seven weeks, but between the end of that phase and the start of training camp to heal and hopefully come to training camp hundred percent and ready to compete for this job. Cause that's really when it's going to happen, right? If you're going to compete for it, it's going to happen at training camp. It doesn't have to happen at organized team activities, working mini camp, yada, yada. So uh, that's a great, um, you know, starting point for you to make a good first impression, but it's going to happen at training camp if you're going to make this thing a battle. So that's the one um, I agree with Mike where it's, you know, 10, 15% chance, maybe at, at best that he's going to have. Cause, cause Randy was a good kicker for him last year. Right. And they brought him back, um, you know, at, at, even though he was an unrestricted free agent and they had to pay a little bit of money to get him back in the fold, but really like Shudak at, uh, at Iowa, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. Uh, curious to see how the whole thing plays out. Yeah, totally. And uh, if we just do a little bit of quick math here, we had 25 guys on defense, the three specialists. If we assume three quarterbacks, we have to choose in three tight ends. Then we have to choose either it's five running backs, six receivers, or nine O-line. That's 54. So it would either be four, six, and nine, five, five, and nine, five, six, and eight. We don't have to decide this now, but just for people out there doing the math at home, I did it here while you guys were talking. And that's where we are at. So... 
No wonder you were so quiet. Yeah, you were probably <laughs> racking your brain trying to figure that out for the last 20 minutes. Yeah, you know what? Math is not easy. That's why they make calculators, okay? Man, That's why we do podcasts, people. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, really quickly before we get out of here because we're running out of time and we've been doing this for a while now is the Texas Longhorns have Arch Manning. I'm a Longhorn alum. Mike's a Longhorn alum. Justin is a fan through us vicariously of the Longhorns, right? Yeah, why not? Um, I'm excited to watch him play. That's all I'll say. Whatever that time covers. All right. Rank these prospects, Justin, since you're the scout here. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning, Trevor Lawrence, Archie Manning. <laughs> well, we haven't seen Archie play a down of college football yet. So I would go Andrew Luck one. I think Trevor Lawrence two. Uh, and I was far too young when Peyton Manning was coming out. So Manning would probably be the rightful number two there, maybe behind Luck, Lawrence three. What do you guys say? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't know, but I, I'm gonna put Archie man, or I'm gonna put Arch Manning number one. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going Arch all the way. I think we can finally say with confidence, Texas is back, right? We're back. We're back. We're back. We've got to be at this point. I mean, you can't have <laughs> Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning in the same quarterback room and not be back, right? I agree. And going to the SEC with that group behind last year's O line recruiting class this is going to be texas football i know everyone out there cares so much about this but uh <laughs> hook them horns baby 90 percent of your listeners hate texas football most likely so they already yeah. turned this off by now and they're laughing at me for saying texas is back no exactly problem. exactly um all right that'll do it we will be back next week with jim wyatt so tune in to the music city audible Thank you so much to Mike Miracles for his time today and insights in the Titans roster construction. I'd let you get another hot take off your chest, but this Zoom's going to end. So I'm just going to say <laughs> tune in next week. Music Sea Audible, broadwaysportsmedia.com. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll be back. Until then, stay safe and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.